Listen, when I tell you that this is just consistent with the theme of the morning, that the devil is trying a whole lot to get in our way this morning, not just with the weather, but with technology and otherwise, listen, it's just the theme of the morning. But my experience is that whenever the enemy is trying really hard to interrupt things, God is real faithful to do something incredible. Anybody else have that testimony this morning? So we just not even worried about it. If you've been with us, you already know. You already know what it is, but if you did your first time with us or you missed a few weeks, let me catch you up. We're in a series called How It's Going. You've seen the memes, right? You've seen them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is that captures your attention in your downtime. You've seen the memes that say how it's going. They say on the left side how it started, and then they give you a picture of how something started, the innocentness of how something started. And then on the other side, they say how it's going, and they paint uh, a really, really unexpected picture of how it's going, right? In this series, we're talking about how it's going, the stories that we never expected to be living. We're looking at some of, some of the most famous accounts of wild stories in Scripture and talking about how it began with, with something over here. And then God took it in a really unexpected direction in order to establish and accomplish his kingdom purposes. Week one, if you haven't been with us, I encourage you, go back on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever, YouTube, and catch up to where we're at now. But just to briefly recap, week one was how it's going, not the life I expected. Week two, we talked about not the glory I expected. Week three, we talked about not the answer I expected. Week four, last week, we talked about the unexpected nature of the calling and the anointing of David the shepherd, and we said not the role I expected. This week, I would like for you to join me again in the Old Testament as we talk about how it's going, not the people. I expected. You can meet me in the book of Jonah. It's an Old Testament prophet, a minor prophet. It's real short, so you might miss it. It's towards the end of the Old Testament. And we're going to start in the very beginning of Jonah. You've heard the story, though, right? Jonah and the big fish. Yeah, we're not talking about that. This is Jonah chapter 1. If you have your physical Bibles with you, then go ahead and turn there. If you have your electronic devices and you feel confident in your spiritual ability to fight off the temptations of the devil, to stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, and whatever else, you go ahead and look there. We don't have it up on the screen for you, so go ahead and look at your neighbor if you have neither of those and say, let me see that. This is Jonah chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. 
But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. You ever been instructed to do something that you so badly did not want to do that you would rather do the exact opposite? I don't want to do that so bad that I would rather fill in the blank. For a lot of us, we use it to be intentionally hyperbolic. In other words, we, we invoke an extreme in order to communicate how badly we don't want to do something. But for Jonah, he so badly didn't want to do something that that intentionally hyperbolic extreme that we call on, he actually did. Verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That means God interrupted his day. Say, yo, wake up. I got something for you. Jonah is a prophet. So he's not startled. He's, he's used to this, to this back and forth with, with the God of Israel. He's used to having conversations. He's used to God coming to him either in a dream, in a vision, or a word and saying to him, hey, I've got something for you to go prophesy about. I've got something for you to go tell. And so he comes to Jonah. Jonah's like, what's up? God's like, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go to Nineveh. And we, don't, we don't have recorded any back and forth. But I have to believe that to some extent Jonah did what all of us do when somebody asks us to do something we don't want to do. God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, huh? Right? I ever say, huh? I heard you. I heard you. I just really was hoping you would change your mind about whatever it was that you just asked me before you think to say it again. Right? God says, I need you to go to Nineveh. Jonah says, huh? God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, bet. And he gets up and goes the opposite direction. Right? Jonah knows that Nineveh is the capital of this crazy empire called Assyria. See, Jonah's heritage is as an Israelite. And he, he recognizes the name of Assyria not as a great nation, but as something to be feared. He recognizes that Assyria, once upon a time and in his day, was a military threat to his country that once upon a time they were knocking on the door of the northern kingdom of Israel and it was only a matter of time before they came in and did the inevitable. The inevitable that Jonah to some degree experienced was that this nation came in and took 
a hold of their people. He took, Assyria took Jonah's brothers and sisters and cousins and uncles and aunts and took them into slavery. They renamed them. They say, you can't hold on to, to no parts of your culture except for the parts of your culture that are profitable to our nation. Now, don't worry, I don't have time to go there today. They came in and in many ways they, they plundered the nation. Jonah experienced murder. He experienced slavery. He experienced the crumbling of a nation that was proud to his heritage. And now, God has called upon him to go where? No, it's not going like that, God. Care they call you Yahweh, Elohim, or whatever the heck. It's not going like that. We're not doing that today. God, you must not remember what they did. You must not remember who they are. You must not remember what my complexion represents to them. You must have forgotten. But God didn't forget. How many times throughout this series have we pointed out all of the ways God used the most unexpected people and the most unexpected methods to turn a situation? And how much more beautiful could it possibly be than the very heritage that Assyria sought to oppress being that which called upon their repentance to turn them as an entire nation? That is poetic. It's beautiful. But it's also the type of thing that only God is capable of. Now, here's what's crazy to me, because there's lots of ways we could go with this. But I got to call out maybe the craziest part. See, remember that I told you Jonah's a prophet, which means the way he hears God's voice is like the way that many of us hear the person next to us. It's clear. When it happens, you know, you understand. And yet... Jonah so badly did not want to go to Nineveh and fool with the Assyrians that it caused him to forget his theology completely. Let me say it another way. Jonah so badly did not want to go to Nineveh, did not want to fool with the Assyrians, that it caused him to forget everything he knows to be true about God. And he ran away. Jonah knows you can't get away from God. How are you going to get away from a God who's omnipresent? Huh? How are you going to get away from a God who's everywhere? In scripture, it's written, I go up here, you're there. I go down there, you're there. I go as far as the east can go, you're there. I go as far as the west can go, you're there. Where does Jonah think he's about to go? But he so badly does not want to do or deal with those people that he would willingly throw out a theological truth he knows to try. That, my friends, is called a calculated bias. You ever been so bent by people that you would willingly throw out your theology to get away from them 
Let me say it another way. You ever gotten so agitated, so aggravated, so irritated, so upset at somebody's post on Facebook that you forgot that God tells us to treat people with kindness, that you forgot that God told you that they're made in the image of God too, and no matter what political affiliation they hold, they also are image bearers of the risen Christ? I mean, me neither, but I'm talking about other people, right? Jonah was so tore up about them over there that he forgot the God that he was serving. And I know we can't imagine, but allow me to submit for just a minute and then I'll move on. That to some degree, all of us exhibit a calculated bias. All of us show our bias in some way. Calculated bias, in other words, it's a prejudice that we form based on our experience. Because this person hurt me. I now have assumptions about all people similar to that. Because this oppressive system came from this party. I now have a premeditated bias, a calculated bias, based on what I think. Because there was somebody who in some way abused me. It is now triggering for me to be around people who look similarly, who act similarly, who smell similarly. We all have in some way, macro or micro, big or small, a calculated bias that we see the world through. We have built our experience into a set of goggles that informs how we see the world. But if Jonah's actions that follow should show us anything, it is not our calculated bias that ought to, to build the lens through which we see the world. But it is our knowledge of God, our belief of God, our relationship of God, in other words, our theology that ought to inform, that ought to be that lens through which we see the world. God is not ignorant to how that person has hurt you. God is not ignorant to the pain that you have had to go through. But God is infinitely knowledgeable as to what it will take to turn a nation, even an oppressive one like Assyria. And I think the sad reality that I can't go on without mentioning is that despite some of us not wanting it to come to the forefront of our mind, we have a tendency to, to live through calculated bias in the church as well. We, we tend to forget that people are made in the image of God, which means just like us, they were created to look like God. They were created to show the rest of humanity something about God. They were created to be this beautiful, albeit incomplete, picture 
of a true and wonderful characteristic of God. And yet we have this tendency to only see that person for their brokenness. As if we don't also have brokenness. And then we take that brokenness and we use it as a way to disqualify them as to why they can't participate in this church. As to why their faith is less genuine than ours. Or as to why we could never hear from them the way God is working in their lives rather than have empathy and compassion. You know, the way that we saw Christ do it. Rather than take our example from Jesus. You hear me say all the time, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. You want to know how God would handle somebody? Look at how Jesus handled somebody. Rather than take our example on how to handle somebody else's brokenness from our risen Savior, we take our cues from their brokenness. And oftentimes, the rest of the world's views and opinions of their brokenness, that is a calculated bias that in the church we have to get rid of. We must put what we know about God over what we know about somebody's brokenness. Okay. Now Jonah, I think Jonah's a lot like me. It seems to me like Jonah is all in or all out. Yeah. You get that impression too? Yeah. Right? Jonah seems to be the type of person that like, if it's here, it's here. And if it's there, I'm there. But I'm not like, let's just see. You know? God told Jonah, go there. Jonah made an investment to go there. Jonah bought a ticket on a boat to somewhere that's so far away we don't even got it on the map. You know how much that probably cost to go? Jonah broke the bank to get away from what God was saying. Jonah named a destination that only a handful of people even thought was a reality to get away from God. Jonah put his investment and his effort into an escape route. Now, I get it. The people that we have to deal with is what makes any task for the Lord so difficult. Amen? Oh, y'all must not have to work with people. Man, the people is what makes it hard to do what God is asking us to do. Well, I don't like them. Let me talk to it on another side. They're mean. If I get up there and I say X, Y, and Z, do you know the response I'm going to get in my emails? If I get up there and share that God, if I get up there and talk about that conviction God, whoop, the things that people will say, if I tweet that, if I make that post, if I one-on-one -on -one offer correction to this, 
do you know how that person will respond? And a lot of times it's the people that keep us from doing what God has asked us to do. So what do we do? We come up with ways where we don't have to deal with them. We come up with methods. We invest in practices or vehicles, pun intended, that will take us far away from the people God is putting in front of us. We come up with reasons as to why God couldn't possibly be saying that. Well, they're not repentant, Jesus. They're fill in the blank, God. I know you couldn't possibly be saying that because I actually got this opportunity over here. See, it's, it's, it's a discounted price. If I book it right now, God, I can go all the way to over here, God. And I bet they ain't never heard the gospel, God. So I know that your discounted price over here, I know that the fact that this town ain't even on the map over there, I know that that speaks to the God that you are to take the message over there because I know that you would rather me invest in these practices to go over there than to go over here. These people tough. I can't help but ask you to be introspective at this point and ask yourself, what is your typical escape route? What is the boat that you have invested in that has taken you away from what God has asked you to do? What is the boat that is taking you away from the people that God is calling you to? Can I put it in your living room? Can I put it in your dorm room? Can I make it real practical? For some of us, it's your job. You use your job and your busy schedule as a shield between you and the people that God is calling you to invest in. For some of you, it's your education. I know that God wants me to get this degree. And once I get this degree, then I will be well equipped to deal with so-and-so. If God is calling you to so-and-so, he's going to equip you along the way. Your education be. And for some of us, it's the way we fill our schedule. For some of us, it's the company that we keep. Not, let me stop, I'm gonna get there in a second. For some of us, it's some addictions that we've held on to, that we've tried and tried but can't quite kick. And God couldn't possibly use me in the midst of, God probably has no answer for, I've tried and tried and I've called but I haven't heard and so it must be, nah. We all have a boat that is taking us away from what God wants us to do. Let me show you something. This is the last thing I'm going to show you, and then I promise you I'm out your way. You can be in the AC in the next few minutes. I'm going to show you something beautiful about this passage. I love, man, I love Scripture. I love the book. If you think it's boring, let me encourage you to do two things. Number one, pray for God to make you want to read it. Number two, put yourself in some situations to learn how to read it. Because in instances like this, it's just so beautiful. See, y'all know, y'all know me. Y'all know me. So you know I'm about to stand, stand up here. I'm going to tell you about the dangers of what? 
I'm going to tell you about the dangers of casual reading. Amen. It's good to be known. It's good to be known. I'm going to tell you about the dangers of casual reading. The dangers of casual reading allows you to completely miss the repetition that's in just six verses. In just six verses, there is poetic repetition. Let me, let, let me read it to you. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship. So he paid the fare and he went down into it. And then a little bit later, it said, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. Did y'all catch it? Where was Jonah going? Not west. Jonah was going down. This describes every time down is used, it is used to describe Jonah's actions. Jonah was going down. The decisions that Jonah was making was taking him down. The decision, the actions that he exhibited while he thought it was taking him away, it wasn't taking him away, it was taking him down. The path that Jonah was headed on was not to Tarshish, but that's what he thought. The path that Jonah was headed on was down. Jonah was going down. The path away from God leads us where, church? Down. The path away from God leads us down real quick for free. I got to call this out. You got to feel for the sailors, right? You got to feel for them. What'd they do? They just got Jonah on the boat. He paid a ticket. They just took the ticket and said, you can, yeah, go ahead. And now there's a big storm on their boat. Where are the sailors going? Down. Why? Because Jonah's there. How many of us are holding on to relationships? that are taking us down. How many of us have let some people in our boat because of the history that we have, because of the rightful passage that they show? How many of us have let cargo into our boat that we think is harmless, that we think is meaningless, that we think it's okay, that we think because we're going, they're gonna go. But in all reality, it's just taking us down. How many of us are going down because we're being affected more by the actions of those with us than the actions we're taking for ourselves? Jonah's going down, and it's plain as day. Jonah's taking the squad with him. Can I show you this repetition, though? This is what makes it poetic. There are four instances of the narrator saying Jonah was going down. There are two instances in just six verses of God saying, arise. Of God saying, arise. Every time the word arise is used, it's describing God interrupting Jonah's life to tell him to get up from his present state. To tell him to get up from his circumstance. Every time God interrupts, he's not there 
to clap at Jonah's head and say, boy, you're going down. Every time God shows up in the text, he's there to say, get up. He's there to say, wake up. He's there to say, arise. He's not there to keep throwing the storm. He doesn't want to throw the storm. He's not there to sink your boat. He doesn't want to sink your boat. He's not there to watch you pettily fall to the depths of the sea. He doesn't want to watch you fall to the depths of the sea. God wants to see you get up. God wants to see you rise. In the Old Testament, when the text uses words like arise. It's talking about taking somebody from their present circumstances to the purpose that God has for them. In the New Testament, you know what it talks about? Resurrection. When God interrupts, he's not interrupting to throw you down in the depths. He's not interrupting to put you out. God is interrupting because where you're already going is down. And where he wants to see you go is up. The decisions that we're making may be taking us down. The relationships that we're allowing in our lives may be taking us down. But I promise you, if you hear nothing else that I say, please, please, please ignore the heat and listen to me for 10 more seconds. Where God is taking you is up. The decisions that we might be making might be taking us down, but that's not God's intention for our life. God's intention, even in the face of danger, even in the face of oppressors like Assyria, even in the face of scrutiny that he'll face in Nineveh, even in the face of our bad attitudes, even in the face of our financial uncertainties, even in the face of family drama, God is calling us up. God wants to see us rise. God wants to take our stories and resurrect them. God is calling us to wake up and get up. Church. We have always stated up front that we want to be a church that checks their bias at the door. Hallelujah. We've always been a church that talks about having the un uncomfortable conversations in order to adhere to the unity of the body. But just as the theme from Absurd this year let us know, there's more to it than that. There's a higher calling from that. There's righteousness that God is calling us towards. I want to be a church that not only checks its bias at the door, but a church that leans into God's voice to discern direction. Because even once you get the people gathered in the living room, man, we don't know what to do with it. We don't know what to say. Matter of fact, we're afraid to say. We don't know how not to offend. I want to be that church. I want us to be those people that check bias at the door and leans into God's voice for direction. And Third Street, can we be a church that when we hear and discern the voice of God, 
we get up and go? Can we be that church that when we hear the call so clearly, we don't stay asleep? We don't accept our circumstances as our eternal fate. But we accept the call of our God who saw fit to save us in the midst of our misery. Can we accept the call that says, I'm not ignorant to where you're at, what you're going through, or how people have hurt you. But what I know is that I have more for you. Can we be a church that accepts the call that says, I know the direction that you're going is uncomfortable. I know there's a lot about this call you want to ignore. But what I have for you on the other side of uncomfortable is the glory that you thought you were getting into in the first place. Can we be a church that when it hears the call of our Savior, we get up and we go. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for the ways that you have saved us from our own misery. Lord, we thank you for the ways that you've saved us from our own depravity, from our own mistakes, from our own brokenness. Lord, we thank you that you know exactly where we're at. That you know what we've been through. That you know the way the people have hurt us. And God, we thank you that you consistently, all throughout Scripture, all throughout time, and all throughout our lives, call us to a better word. Lord, we want to take that call. God, I pray right now you would bring to the forefront of our minds the barriers that we have built between us and accepting what you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would bring to the forefront of our minds that boat, our go-to response when we really, really don't want to. And God, I pray that in Jesus' name you sink that ship with us standing safely on shore. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to discern the direction that you are calling us towards. And while we may not have it all figured out, Father, we trust you with our faith as we follow you, as we follow the example of Jesus, as we follow the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray for the faith to trust you with what that means. We pray these things in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up.